So we're gonna we're gonna cover the parable of the wedding feast, and I was tempted to call this lesson uh, "All Wedding Crashers Go to Hell," but I decided that was not an appropriate lesson. Uh, and why I started recording before I the line, I don't know. Um, but this will be a, a good lesson today. But it's yet another teaching of Jesus, and I, I want to make sure it's clear. There's if you if you actually grow up and you learn about Christ and and uh, maybe you have a lot of memories from as a kid learning about things in Sunday school or uh, or you've kind of just been all on the on the outskirts of Christianity in your life. Uh, when you think about Jesus, you may just be thinking about some of the warm, cuddly feelings of Jesus. And if you read the Gospels, you'll find out real quick that Jesus is not just this warm, cuddly figure. You know, this is not a warm, cuddly message. You know, this is not sugar coated in rainbows. This is a a little bit more difficult teaching that comes directly from the mouth of Christ. And so I, I think whenever we read these teachings, a lot of times we, we think, you know, it's going to be easy to understand and be direct, and uh, we're not going to struggle through uh, the text at all. Uh, but this is a great example of a text that you kind of just struggle through. You, you have to really dig into it a bit. I was Last night, I was reading to my son. I say, I, my wife was reading to my son, and we were all sitting there together my son and daughter, but my son asked a question as we were going through the parable of the talents. And, and he was, we were talking about that, that parable of the talents, the last person in that parable who gets one bag of gold and, and Jesus pretty much calls him a wicked servant and, and all these different things. My son's kind of going, what, what did he do wrong? You know? And so we had to really unpack that lesson for him to make sure he understood what we did wrong. And I think you could almost have the same thinking as you go through this parable. It's like, what did this guy actually do wrong again? You know, and, and, and why? Because there seems to be a pretty violent reaction. The, this, this parable ends with the king in this parable saying, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, that's how this story ends. And so we, we need to understand why that reaction exists from God. And, I mean, this, is a, this is a difficult one. So we're going to work through that today. And, and I think in this, in this book of the Bible, and I think what, what a, a muscle we're going to try to exercise today, this story, is it's important for us as we read and we study and we understand God's word to start to learn how to peel back the layers, right? There's, there's, you read and you can read just what's on that surface and, and get an understanding, but, but for us in this class, we got to start to understand how to peel back those layers. And there's a lot of symbols in this parable that keep recurring in the Bible we're going to talk through today. Uh, and I think if you peel back a few of those layers, understand what those symbols mean, understand the context, you'll get a much deeper appreciation for this text. And I suspect you'll agree uh, at the very end of this, I suspect you're going to agree with what happens to this guy, right? You're, you're going to have a better feeling about this whole story. So... As we get into this text, I want to make sure we have the proper context of it. Uh, this, this passage, the parable of the wedding feast, comes on the heels of three other pretty important parables that Jesus is teaching about that all kind of add together. Uh, just a few chapters before, we're going to, we see a story about the laborers in the vineyard uh, where grace is being given to whom God determines to give grace to. Right. It talks about the, the different laborers in the field working at different hours, but they all get paid the same at the end. And the people who had to labor at the very beginning who worked a lot more hours are upset that they're not getting paid more than the people who came in at 11 p.m., right, and only worked for an hour. And, and Jesus says, you know, can I not give grace? Can I not be generous with whom I, just, uh, I say I'm going to be generous to? And, and it's talking about, uh, talking about this idea of who is going to enter into the kingdom of God. 
And, and Jesus is setting the scenes for the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God, not just the original people of promise. Uh, we see then a parable of the two sons, and Jesus is contrasting who actually gets into the kingdom of God. Uh, he talks about one son who is who hears a lesson, you know, and, and is being given an instruction from his father, uh, and he listens to it and says, I'm not going to do it, but then later he actually does it. Uh, as compared to another son who listens to the instructions of the father and says, I'm going to do it, but actually doesn't do it. And he's saying, which one, which one's actually going to get into the kingdom of God, right? And it's one who, even though they said first they weren't going to do it, they submitted and they did do it. And so Jesus is making a point. He goes, hey, the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all these people you think aren't worthy, they may not have listened at first, but they've heard my word and they're doing what I'm saying to do, right? They're going to get into the kingdom before you, right? And then we see a third parable, the parable of the tenants, which is a really fun parable, where we see that this master goes away and leaves people in charge of his property uh, and goes to check in on the property. And all the servants who are going to check in on the property get killed, right? And so finally, finally, he sends his heir, you know, he sends, he sends his son pretty much, and they kill him too. And so it's pretty clear what Jesus is talking about here, right? All the prophets have gone before and have been killed. All these people good news be killed i finally i send my son you kill him too right and he goes so i'm gonna i'm the promise all everything's gonna go to the people who actually will take what i've given them and produce fruit and so you just see him continue to set the scene for the jewish people at the time your idea of the fact that you you are the people of promise and by being ethnically jew i'm somehow going to inherit the kingdom jesus flipping all of that on its face faith on its face, right? He's flipping it over. He's saying, no, no, no. This idea of faith is what's going to separate people. This idea of trusting me, of putting your faith in me, of obeying me, right? And I'm going to open it up to all kinds of people, right? Who can put their faith in me. Those are the people who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, for the Jewish audience who was reading this lesson at the time, this would have been a really hard passage, right? I mean, they're growing up. You got to hear Terry teach about this a lot. They're growing up Thank God I'm not a Gentile, right? I mean, this idea of Jewish versus Gentile, the idea of Gentiles being grafted into the family of God, into the people of promise, is a radical concept, uh, and it doesn't float very well. And so, so I want, as we read this parable, I want you to have those other three kind of short stories, short parables in your mind, because Jesus keeps building on this as he's finally going to make the statement he makes in the parable of the wedding feast. Make sense? Okay, let me actually read. I'm just going to read all this first, and then we're going to break it down a little bit differently. So Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, says this. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. 
Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Well, this is fun, right? This is, this is, this is a little interesting uh, a teaching of Jesus. So here's what I want to do to kick, to kick this off. I want us to start to make sure all of us in here are beginning to, to build muscle when we read the Bible, right? To, to exercise how to interpret, how to analyze, how to, how to make sure we're really getting to the crux of the message in the Bible. And so in this passage, there are a few big symbols that recur in the Bible a lot. I mean, a lot. And the symbols I've, I've got written down, there's more, but, but the four big ones I see are the king, the wedding feast, the fattened calf, and the wedding garment. What I'd like us to do at your tables is I want you to talk about those four symbols, the king, the wedding feast, the fattened calf, and the wedding garment. Those four symbols, what do you think they mean? Right? What do you think they symbolize? Just kind of go through those one by one. No wrong answers. On the, actually, there are wrong answers. But at your table, there's no wrong answers, right? What do you think they mean uh, as you go through and you read this text? Talk about that for a little while, and then we'll come back. Well, let, let's bring it back. Uh, I haven't heard any political conversation happening, but, but we'll, we'll bring it back. All right, so, so what's the consensus on who uh, the king represents? Is there a consensus? God, God. If you got, if you, if you put God, give yourself a little check mark on your, on your, on your you know, Wednesday Bible study quiz. Uh, the King represents God. Think about it. The King has, um, he's prepared the way for people to be reconciled. Uh, he's, he's the one doing the inviting. He's the one making the way for all the preparations here. Uh, he has personally made the preparations. He's orchestrated all these events, right? He's, he's the king. He's the sovereign. He's the sole authority. We don't get any idea that there's any authority greater than the king in this. Uh, the king gives commands. They're followed, right? I mean, if, if you think about it, God is, the king is God. And, and normally when you see stories like this, the king's going to be God. You know, that's, that's going to be a very normal thing. So in this, the king is God. Wedding feast. So on the wedding feast, uh, I've talked about this probably more than I should in here, but anytime you see wedding, anytime you see a, the, any, any explanation of weddings in the Bible, pay attention, right? The Bible starts with a wedding and ends with a wedding, right? We, we see right in the beginning with Adam and Eve being joined together with God. We see this idea of union, communion with God through a wedding ceremony, uh, and the Bible ends with it. If you go to Revelation 22, 17, you'll see this idea of the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come, right? Uh, you, you see this final culmination that really builds all through Revelation uh, to this great wedding ceremony uh, where the bridegroom and the bride come together. Right. And if you think about the communion story, for any of you guys who've watched Terry Dumani Thursday, that, that communion story, we see this idea of wedding imagery come through in our idea of our relationship with Christ. Uh, as the groom takes the cup, you know, drinks from the cup, uh, he is committing his life to the bride. As the cup is passed, the bride has the opportunity to drink from the cup, but doesn't have to. 
if the bride does drink from the cup, she is committing her life to the groom, right? And so if you think about our idea of communion with God, what Jesus is teaching us to remember, he's not teaching us to remember this mournful ceremony of communion. He's teaching us to remember a celebratory wedding feast, right? Communion is the climax of our celebration, right? It, it's an incredible feast. And so, so as we think about it, the church is the bride, Jesus is the groom. And so the wedding ceremony is this culmination, this of everything coming together, the kingdom of God being fulfilled, the bride and the groom coming together. Uh, just think about it as joyful, joyful ceremony uh, where the church and Jesus are, are combined. Yes. Yep. Yeah, you think about it, the very first turning water into wine, uh, which is something I'd love to figure out in the Baston house, but but the uh, but the very first miracle took place in a wedding ceremony. You're going to see this idea of weddings occur all throughout, uh, especially you get to the Old Testament and the way God speaks to his people when they are abandoning him, whenever they do not exhibit faith, whenever they're turning away from him, he speaks to them as being unfaithful in their marriage relationship with him right, as infidelity, adulterous, right, he uses that idea uh, to help us understand what it means to not be faithful to God. Has God ever not been faithful to his people? Absolutely not. God's always been faithful, uh, but we as a people have been unfaithful to him very, very often. So you see this wedding feast all coming together. Uh, we see a story of love coming together, Hesed love, this one-way love coming together through this wedding feast. Fattened calves. Do you want to figure out who the fattened calf was? Yeah, we'll get to that here in just a second. Sacrifice. Who is the fattened calf? Christ. So I want you to think about this. Real so let's let's go back. Um, Terry Chapman was, was was referencing this. Whenever I hear the word fattened calf, the first story of the Bible I ever think about is the prodigal son story. And so I want you to think about the prodigal son story. Uh, in the prodigal son, you have a father, right, who is God. You have a son who wanders away, who are, let's, let's take that as us for a moment. We wander away from God, uh, and then we come back, and there's this beautiful story of reconciliation with what happens when a father embraces his wayward son. And let me just read, let me read the short version of the text of the prodigal son. Luke 15 is where it comes out of. It starts in verse 20. It says, but while he was a still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at this idea real quick. The son went away from God. He repented. He turned back around and came back to his father. Right? And the father embraces him. The son recognizes his sin, repents. I'm no longer be worthy to call your son. He's recognizing his sinfulness and his humility as he goes back to his father. <clears throat> Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, which we'll talk about in a second, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and, and is found. So they begin to celebrate. So you see a few things happen before they celebrate. You see a robe put on him. Like I said, we'll talk about that here in just a second. And you see a fattened calf slaughtered. And when you think about this fattened calf, I want you to think about something that has been loved and prepared for a long time, right? 
the best of the best, unblemished, right? And you think about think about all those things, that, and and you see that that fattened calf gets slaughtered on behalf of the sinful, wayward son who comes back to to his father. You see the fattened calf being this moment of reconciliation, something that is used uh, to to reconcile. God the Father to the wayward Son. And so when you hear fat and calf, think Christ. Think the sacrifice of Christ. Same thing in this story. Uh, you see in this story, when you, if you go back in Matthew 22 to verse 4, it says, He had sent other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. So I just want you to think about this whenever you kind of dig down deep into it. The king is God. He's preparing a wedding feast, like he's preparing the great ceremony where the church gets to unite with Christ, right? Where, where, where God can be reconciled to his people completely and fully and joyfully, right? And to do it, he had Jesus Christ himself had to be sacrificed, right? Had to be slaughtered. And I mean, there's no better word for it, right? He was slaughtered. He, he was sacrificed for something he did not deserve. And so God's saying, he goes, everything's been, been prepared. All these things have been completed. Everything's happened. Come, be a part of the wedding ceremony, right? I've prepared all this way. And, and so we see that imagery of Christ just really coming through very beautifully there. And Jesus himself is telling what's going to happen before it happens. He knows what's going to happen. So, so the fattened calf is uh, definitely Jesus. So the wedding garment, this one's a bit more complicated. Uh, where did you guys land on the wedding garment? Imputed righteousness, is, that's the answer. We'll talk about that in a second. Where, where, I heard, yep. yep. There's a number of passages in the New Testament in particular where we're talking about like putting on Christ, right? And, uh, and so we'll, we'll, that imagery will play through. I heard salvation over here. Um, so let's, let's break this one down a little bit because the wedding garment is something we actually talked about, or a garment of righteousness is something we talked about. Uh, I would think about it a little bit differently, but in the same vein, faith is a portion of, but well, but but different context. But um, so let's let's break this one down, and, and to understand this garment idea, especially as it relates to this parable, you have to know some historical context. And so, in ancient times, when you had a big celebration like this, especially a wedding celebration, a royal wedding celebration. The king, or whoever the host was, but the king in this case, would have actually provided the garments to the people he was inviting to the ceremony. And I mean, so just think about it. They would have said, okay, here's the dress, here's the dress requirements, whatever it is. You know, servants make up 5,000 of these, these robes, whatever it is, and they would actually hand them out and would say, this is what you need to wear to the ceremony. And this was done for a couple of reasons. One, is whatever level of reverence this king or host was requiring, they were going to make sure it was adhered to. And so if, if I come in and what's been provided, I'm going to be at the level of reverence required for the ceremony that's taking place. The second is, is all kinds of different types of people would have been invited to these ceremonies. You would have had foreign dignitaries. You would have had potentially servants. You would have had family. You'd have lots of different peoples across lots of different class systems, class systems and everything. And so everyone wearing the same thing actually, actually was a great way to, to bring equality to the entire event and to make sure the focus was not on the difference in what I'm wearing versus what Jim's wearing, right? The focus was on the bride and groom. The focus was on the actual uh, host. The focus was on whatever was meant to be the focus of the celebration. And so 
you have to understand that, that as people are reading this parable at the time, they would have understood that the king himself, whoever was invited, they're handing out the garments, right? They're, they're going to give you the garments. And if you, you read about this, we see this pop up in the Bible from time to time. In Genesis 45, uh, 45, 22, we see Pharaoh actually provide Joseph garments for Joseph's brothers so that they can properly enter into the presence of the Pharaoh, right? We see this idea of if you wear this garment, you are righteous enough or you are reverent enough to be able to enter into the presence of royalty. So we see this happening in ancient times all throughout the Bible. If you do a little bit more detective work, uh, apart from cultural context, you see this idea come up in the teachings of Christ. And so if you go back to Revelation chapter 22, 12 through 14, let me read this to you. It says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So we get this image from Jesus himself talking about if you have this clean robe, you, have, you are going to have access into the kingdom of God. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this white robe. Think about a white wedding garment robe that you put on, royal robe. And if you are wearing this white royal robe, you have access into the kingdom of God, which then begs the question. You've got these two things coming about. You have this idea that the king himself is providing you the robe and that, you know, it needs to be clean. And so then let's go back to a passage we talked about a few weeks ago from the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah 3, 4 through 5 says this. This is a vision that, that Zechariah is getting. It says the angel, he's looking at heaven. He says, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes, right? Because the high priest had on filthy clothes. He had on a robe, but they were filthy. They were, they were stained with sin, if we want to think about it that way. Take, and he says, and the angel says, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. So let's piece those together real quick. The king himself provides the robe. You need robe. You need this clean robe to access the kingdom of God. And the king himself is the one who cleanses that robe, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's beautiful imagery whenever you see it all come through together. To get invited to the wedding feast, you, many are invited to the wedding feast, many are called, but it's those who put on the robe, with a clean robe, who get through the door and take part in the celebration. We see that the, the issue that, that uh, the king has in this is not that the man is there. He's not mad that the man was invited. What he's mad about is the man was not wearing the wedding garment. And so... If you think about, just to Terry's point, the idea of the robe is the imputed righteousness of Christ. We put on Christ. We put on his righteousness. We are not righteous enough. We cannot clean the stains out of our robes. We cannot do that on our own. But Christ did, right? And as we put our faith in him, just Bible 101, Christianity 101, as we put our faith in Christ, we get to put on that clean robe of his righteousness. We are invited to the wedding feast. And, and so I think that I think most of you guys in here would, would say, yeah, okay, I get that. 
I get that. And so we got to have to kind of answer the question here of um, what's going on with this guy, right? Because he got thrown out. And, and the whole idea here of the, you know, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness and that place shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're talking about hell. And so don't want to sugarcoat that. I mean, he's talking about hell. And, and if you think about it, this guy didn't just get thrown out of the church. He didn't just get thrown out onto the streets. He didn't just get scolded, right? They said, no, you, you don't have a garment on. He's getting thrown to hell. And, and so that, that should startle all of us. I mean, just to a certain extent, we should all be startled uh, whenever we read that. So, so to, to make sure we pin that down and understand it, a couple more questions I had as I went through it. First is this. Who are the original invites to the wedding who ignored the invitation? So read this parable right at the beginning. It says, uh, the king of heaven may be compared to king who gave a wedding feast for his sons, and he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Who are those people? The Jewish people who ignored it, right? The Jewish people who ignored the invitation. Um, who are the people where the king says, go to the main roads and invite as many as you can? As many as you can find, invite them. Right. Who are those people? Yeah, all of us. Right. All of us. Right. I mean, thank God. I mean, it was it was these people have ignored my invitation. I've prepared the wedding ceremony. The, the, the wedding is ready. Right. Everything's been done. The fattened calf has been slaughtered. Christ himself has been crucified. He's dead and raised. Right. It's all ready. All of history is pointed to this moment. And the people that I originally invited are not partaking. Go to the roads, yell as loud as you can, share the gospel, make disciples of all nations, all these things we've learned all about, right? Invite them in. We here at this church, we have this understanding of provenient grace, right? That God has given enough grace for all of us to be able to respond to that gospel message. And we, we, we are taught as an obedience that we must go and, and go to the streets, go and tell people about Christ. We're going to share the gospel. And so that's us. That's all the church, every, all of us. We're all benefactors of this. That, that, that instruction was given. Go and, go and tell everyone uh, that the wedding's ready. Come and prepare. And so then lastly, so who is the person? This is probably the, the most important question of the lesson. Who is the person then who was invited, right? They were invited to the wedding ceremony, but they didn't show up wearing a garment. So this is so. If you think about this one real quick, high level, this person to this wedding has been invited. He's been invited. So so think about this and practically in today's term, if, if we're trying to put what we understand, who do you think the person is then who has been invited but is not wearing the garment? Yeah, I think it's great. Unsaved, someone trying to come to heaven for through some other means besides Christ. False prophet. I mean. Uh, so, so, so where, where, where I come from with this is I, I want to think about it very, very simply. Someone who, is, who has gone into this wedding ceremony without a garment on is someone who has heard the good news. Right? Somebody went out, to, someone has, they have heard the good news. They've heard it. Uh, they've heard the good news. They know the king has invited them to the most glorious of celebrations. They know that the wedding feast has been prepared. Uh, they know they've been invited to personally attend this joyful celebration, right? They know it. Uh, and it doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter what their privilege is in society. It doesn't matter what they've done, right? It doesn't matter. They, they, he says, go tell all the people, good and bad, tell them all, 
right? It doesn't matter, right? This person has heard that message. They, they've heard it preached. They understand that, right? They've heard the message. And then they get there and someone says, all you have to do is put this garment on, right? Put this garment on, right? And we understand put the garment on, which means it's a gift from God, right? Our part of that is to put it on. Our simple act of faith is just to put the garment on, right? For us, that means to put our trust in Christ, to, to have faith, to obey, right? That's us just putting the garment on. And this is a man who's, who has said, I'm going to the wedding ceremony and I'm not putting the garment on. I, I, I vehemently refuse to put on the garment, right? I mean, it wasn't that, because I think you could read this and you go, well, what if he just didn't have a garment? It's like, no, 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 the king provides it, right? The king has provided the garment for everyone who's been invited, right? You just refused to put it on. You refuse to put it on. You're going to do it my way. I'm going to be prideful. I'm going to be arrogant, right? I'm not going to put it on. I am not going to put my trust in Christ, even though I've heard this good news. And I think that's one thing we have to understand in this, this story. If, if you understand the story of God's redemption properly, if you knew, just put yourself for a moment in this king's perspective, right? All Everything's been prepared. All that's happened. God's perspective on this. His own son, this, this one he's prepared for so long, has been slaughtered on our behalf, on this person's behalf, right? Everything's been done for this purpose, for this wedding ceremony, for this glorious celebration, all the sacrifice, all the story of redemption, everything that takes place in the Bible, all points to this moment. And you get to the moment and it's this free gift of God's grace where he says, here is this garment imputed with Jesus Christ's righteousness. Follow me, put this on. And then we just refuse to do it, right? We see God's reaction. The good news of the gospel is incredible news for those who put the garment on. Incredible news for those who put the garment on. Eternity of joy, right? Both in this world and the next, right? Eternity. It's a great news. But for those who hear what all God has done and abject refuse to do what he said, it is not good news. And like, I, I, think, I think that's one thing we probably don't preach enough, and I'm not trying to preach a doom and gloom sermon or anything, but Jesus said it himself, right? And the great thing is, the great thing is, we all get this great opportunity to just put the garment on. He's invited us all, right? And so you can kind of sit there, and I think a lot of people can kind of sit there and say, well, this just isn't fair. How can God do this? Yada, yada, yada. And, and we're always get to with that, that line of reasoning is, is, if we really believe that God is God and God created the universe and God did all these things, uh, it's probably not upon me and my infinite wisdom of 36 years old to disagree with God and how he decided to do things, right? Uh, what I've created hell and done all these different things and had this whole process work, I don't know, but I'm 36 years old with very, very limited wisdom. God created all of this and, and he has been so loving to us to tell us a way that we can be reconciled to him in our sin. We can be the prodigal son who turns back to a father and he goes, that fattened, calf has been, that fattened calf has been slaughtered for you, you personally. As a loving father, I'm going to embrace you. But we've got to put on that garment. And so I think just if you guys, as you guys leave here today, I just want you to remember what a great gift it is that the king has provided us that garment. Uh, and, and all he's asked you to do is put it on. And when you put it on, it's the best thing to wear in the world. 
Nothing can go better. If you spill something on it, you know, you confess your sins and he makes it clean again. It's just great. You know, it, it, it's, it's one of these, and there'll be trials and tribulations that come as you wear the garment. You're going to put it on now as you put your faith in Christ, and you're going to wear it till the day that you get to that official ceremony on the other end, right? You get to wear it all the way along. Like I said, you will have issues that, that he in his blood and his righteousness cleanses that garment in perpetuity. And so I just, I just want us to to make sure we don't leave here today without a just incredible appreciation for what our king has invited us to be a part of and how simple and incredible he has made it to just be there in the joyful ceremony and then how foolish it sounds we just think about how foolish does it sound to walk into that ceremony and refuse to wear the garment you know and uh that's our job to teach people the good news explain it lovingly explain it um we believe this is true. And if we believe this is true, we, we've, got, we've got people we need to tell. Right? So anyway, let me pray for us and we'll get out of here. If you guys have any questions, uh, by all means, let me know. I'm going to uh, close with a, a song. I'm not going to sing a song, don't worry. Uh, I'm not going to sing this, but some of you guys may recognize it. It's an old hymn written by Charles Wesley, and it's talking about this passage. And let me just read this and then I'll pray. Uh, the, the hymn name is Depth of Mercy Can There Be. And it goes like this. Depth of mercy can there be, mercy still reserved for me. Can my God his wrath forbear, me the chief of sinners spare? I have long withstood his grace, long provoked him to his face, would not hearken to his calls, grieved him by a thousand falls. I, my master, have denied I afresh have crucified, oft profaned his hallowed name, put him to an open shame. There for me the Savior stands, shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love, I know, I feel. Jesus weeps but loves me still. Now incline me to repent. Let me now my fall lament. Now my foul revolt deplore. Weep, believe, and sin no more. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for these men. Thank you for the incredible gift of your righteousness, uh, the sacrifice of Christ, Sorry, crucifixion. Sorry, Siri is talking to me. Thank you so much uh, for what you have given to us. Thank you for the cloak that we get to wear, for the righteousness that we get to put on, that we get to be invited to this incredible wedding ceremony, that we get to celebrate and be joyful and be, be, be just thrilled to be in your presence. May you be with us. May you be with help us just share this good news help us walk with those we love help us just help people understand how to repent how to turn around the incredible love of the father that welcomes people who have gone astray uh, you you give us the greatest gift and you show us such mercy time and time and time again and we thank you for that even though we know we don't deserve it may you watch after these men and their families let them be great leaders in our community be with all the prayer requests we mentioned we love you lord in jesus name Amen. 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 All right, guys. Thank you all.